What is crackalackin', fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my certified fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes. We are moving into another NBA trade deadline primer from the Eastern Conference, getting through these final ones here. Before we get started, please let me remind you to subscribe to us wherever you consume us. If that's on YouTube, hit like, subscribe, comment, help the algorithm love us back, share the videos podcast players as well apple spotify stitcher google play wherever you consume your podcast subscribe to us there if you have not already if you have subscribed tell a friend retweet our promo shout us out on twitter or other forms of social media share our podcast that means a ton join our discord the link to that is in the podcast and youtube description if you're already in our discord bring a friend or two or five show them the link to the discourse that we can continue to increase the basketball discussion and that there'll be more discussion when Grant or myself aren't active because it's trade deadline season and we're running around like chickens with our head cuts off to juggle our schedules and follow us on all the socials. We have cleared 200 followers on TikTok, Thank you. And we're now almost at 200 followers on Instagram. Um, that was a pathetic bordering on tragic milestones, but at hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram at hardwood Knox on TikTok and Twitter as well. Where we have over 5k followers there. That's a little bit less pathetic. I think. Um, and last, but certainly not least, as I mentioned at the end of the last podcast, we will be in the Bleacher Report app doing a live stream on February 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern time to preview the NBA trade deadline. And then we'll be back in there on February 9th, the trade deadline day at 5 p.m. Eastern time to do winners and losers. Uh, I don't know if we'll have the ability to promote it on Twitter or send you a link, but download the BR app, be on the lookout for it, come support us that way interact and engage i'm assuming we'll be able to interact with commenters there but if not just come watch come listen um it would mean a lot to us if you did that Whew, that was long that was a two minute amble for me after saying i wouldn't talk for minutes at a time grant the most important question though of the podcast how the heck are you well dan uh i got a little bit nervous to be honest because i knew we were going to do that live stream or those live streams but uh I don't know why that makes me slightly nervous because it's like a condensed version of what we're doing now and it's not any different, but it is a, diff a little different. We so, might have more than tens of watchers, I think is what we might. We might. Who knows? Maybe we'll have fewer. Hard to say. <laughs> uh, but I'm doing well. And as we talked about earlier, uh, I have been working on some trade adjacent content and big news uh, for anyone that's followed us for any length of time. I've come all the way around. And it is time for the Warriors to trade James Wiseman. I was the last holdout, I think, on planet Earth, and and I'm there now. So, so it's been a big it's been a big couple of days. I've really done a lot of personal growth. You know, just a different like soul different searching. Guy. Yeah, yeah, this soul searching, all that stuff. Wow, this is big news for you. I just feel like we need to have a podcast about your journey to self improvement <laughs> to accepting reality. We should put it on someone to cut together all the previous times I've I've shot down your Wiseman trades and said no, it's not time, or he's, he's he still has a chance, but. You know, go read it at BR. It's up. Yeah, go read. Go read my reasoning. It's not like it's not groundbreaking because everybody has already thought this, but it's really just about me. They're gonna I'm read gonna... it. And be like, well, it's about fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I pitched it, that probably would have been the counter pitch. You know, someone saying, "Yeah, everybody already agrees with this." So I don't know what we're doing. Let's make the case for the Warriors to keep James Wiseman. <laughs> yeah, next I'm gonna start writing about why uh, I think Steph Curry should be a Hall of Famer. Uh, I, you know, while we're just touching all the obvious bases. Let's touch another obvious base and move on to the Atlantic division trade deadline primer where look, spoiler alert. I might, I might figure out a way to, to shoehorn James Wiseman talk into this section. I bet you didn't see that coming, but like last time we'll be going, I don't know when we locked the records in, but there hasn't been any changes in the Atlantic division. We'll be going in 
um, order of decreasing winning percentage. So we begin with the Boston Celtics. Uh, look, they're jo- oh, and as a brief recap, man, I suck at this. We're just going through our biggest overarching themes or questions we have about these teams leading into the deadline. We'll talk about any notable assets or we'll have a hypothetical trade for each one, but we want it to be more free flowing than that. So if you listen to the previous podcast, you understand where this is going. Now we're on to the Boston Celtics for real. Uh, they're clearly buyers. My biggest question for them is, are they going to add a big? And I also, you could ask like, are they going to trade Daniel Gallinari who has a player option for next year to kind of cut their tax bill? Or do they just kind of use him as matching salary they don't necessarily need him as matching salary because they do have the, a trade traded player exception worth 5.9 million that expires on February 10th. I'm just curious as to like, when you're looking at their rotation, they're not going to trade like their top seven guys. And so they're really not, they're not positioned to make a big move. And I've seen some people speculate that, Hey, maybe they would trade their 2025 first to get a big, I understand why they want a fourth big, but it's a fourth big. Like, no, you don't trade a first round pick to do that. Would I trade Sam Hauser or Peyton Pritchard? Yeah, absolutely. I would, but I'm not trading a first round pick to have someone play behind Grant Williams, RW three and Al Horford, or to try and inoculate myself against Horford suddenly aging or RW three getting injured again. But I think that's the closest to their like actual need that they could have. Unless you think that I've looked and like, I guess they could technically use another real wing sized player behind Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum, maybe someone to replace or improve upon the Sam Hauser minutes that are no longer the same level of Sam Hauser minutes they were previously. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the the whole, they need a, that's been out there, right? The the Celtics are targeting a backup big, and we'll get into that for a couple other teams. And it's sort of, it doesn't ever really make a lot of sense to me because at least as a this year thing, and that's all the Celtics should be concerned with, obviously, because they're on the shortest of short lists of, of title threats. I almost wonder if, you know, I've never seen this reported, but, you know, Grant Williams is going to be a free agent and there's been some back and forth on extension stuff that hasn't come to fruition. And, you know, we've talked about him as like the Pistons make a lot of sense for, you know, to throw him some money and throw him an offer sheet this summer. It's almost like if you're looking for a third big, it's like you're looking for someone to take those minutes when Grant Williams isn't there anymore. I mean, that's just totally wild speculation, but it makes it, it makes the search for another big guy a little more logical to me because if you have Robert Williams and you have Horford and you have Grant Williams and you know, like Tatum's fine at the four, if you want to do different lineups, you might need the other big wing for that. But I just don't see the need unless you're talking injury, which then like, well, if we're going to bring that into the equation for literally any team, it, it changes everything. But assuming everything's, you know, everyone's healthy and, and, and the rotation is what it is. Like, where are those minutes even coming from? Like, why would that be? It might almost be the type of thing where they don't need anything. And so it's just, well, but if they needed something, this, I guess, is it, right? And it's, it feels like a very regular season move where it's, you might need it because stuff is going to crop up with Robert Williams or you want to rest Al Horford. But even like looking at Grant Williams, I try to think, well, is there like any playoff matchups where he might not be great for? And the only thing I really came up with is like, he doesn't seem like a good matchup for the Warriors. It's like, well, that's only an NBA Finals problem, right? Um, and so Which for them, NBA right. Finals problems are problems. But even then, like it, you know, it, <laughs> the odds the odds aren't great that they'll see the Warriors. But you know, they were competitive last year until the Warriors kind of solved them. And I don't think Grant Williams was like the problem. You know, it, it's just there aren't. I, the more I talk about it, the more I'm coming around to like this is just a team that doesn't really need anything. 
No, and I'm I'm with you. And so their most likely player to be traded for me was Daniel Gallinari, who's also probably the hardest um like player to be traded, if you think about it, just because of the way that uh um like his contract is set up. Like he's not gonna play this year, uh, unless you're going deep into the playoffs. There's been some mention of like, oh, okay, maybe we'll see that with um the Celtics. Could he come back in the playoffs? But I don't know if you necessarily want to integrate him that late into the season. Um, so, but he feels like if they're going to trade someone, I don't know if you feel differently. Could it be like, is it Pritchard or Sam Hauser? Like, would those be the players you dangle to get a big, or is it just very much like Gallo's salary in two seconds or that traded player exception in two seconds? Yeah. I mean, I probably would lean towards Gallo as the, as the piece I'd want to move just because I don't see a scenario where even in the unlikely event, he does make it back that he's like, he's helpful at all, you know, Pritchard and Hauser theoretically could could do something for you in a in a certain playoff series if there is an injury. But yeah, you're just talking, you know, and then also Gallo's salary is a little bigger, but I don't know why a team it's hard to imagine the team out there that actually wants him with that player option for 6.8 million next year. Um, I guess maybe he's valuable at that number or helpful or not a negative asset, but but also maybe not. So yeah, I just it, I, I guess. I mean, Pritchard is expendable, really, because you have Marcus Martin, you have Derek Wyatt, and there, and Jason Tatum can handle the ball, and you actually have, you know, guys like Horford can can kind Rock of be too. really need it. Yeah, so there's there's other options, um, but Gallo just seems like the least likely guy to be, you know, even marginally helpful. So I guess he's got to be the first to go. I just don't know what, you know, I don't know what team values it you know, a couple of seconds, depending on, you know, if they're their Celtics own seconds, they probably aren't any good, but Boston does have, um, you know, some, I guess from Dallas, they've got a second, or that's even from Houston or Miami. There's nothing, there's not a lot of great sweeteners that I think the Celtics would be willing to part with here. Well, so the, the trade that I have for them is the Celtics get Nas Reed and the Timberwolves get Justin Jackson, Portland's second round pick this year and San Antonio's second round pick next year. Two pretty good Seconds, I would argue. Mm-hmm. You could also just go. We know Jalen Noel wants out of Minnesota. What's going to happen with D'Lo? Pritchard has one year left on his deal. You could flip Pritchard for Nas Reed straight up because Pritchard has the one year left on his rookie scale. That might be fair. So one of those, I would be against trading Pritchard for Nas Reed because I think the whole idea is just like, let's make this a, you know, nine, 10 man rotation that we want to keep and just, you know, heaven forbid, like something happens to just, you're you're trying to like, not that it would be a lateral move, but giving up a guard for your fourth big, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. But I like Nas Reed, even though he's not, he doesn't play like when you look at his playmaking ability or lack thereof, or even what he does on defense, that's not like the prototypical Boston big, but just as like, he can still stretch the floor. His three point clip is down this year. He can put the ball on the floor too in space. He's going to give you a lot of options defensively. And he's kind of, Nice insurance against, well, what if Grant Williams gets like a $20 million per year offer that you don't want to match? Nas Reed probably isn't going to cost you nearly as much. And so if if the opportunity cost is these two seconds or uh, Peyton Pritchard, I think I would do it. I'm curious your thoughts. And just from Minnesota's perspective, I don't, I just, I don't want to give up Nas Reed if I'm them, but you paid Conanthine Towns and Rudy Gobert a trillion dollars a year combined. You can't go, let's say he cost them mid-level exception money to keep to throw another 11 plus million dollars a year at a big is just like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. My first thought when you, I, I mean, I, I think I 
I don't know because of the point you raised. I don't know if I do that if I'm Boston just because I might rather have another guard than a big, all things being equal. But the Wolves really do seem to like Nas Reed. And there were some extension talks out, like, it, it, which is just bizarre for the reasons you said. I don't understand why he would be. I mean, he's a he's a good player. Like there are, you know, he could play for a lot of teams and he is playing for Minnesota. But I just don't know how much he is. Like, are we are we, if we're the wolves, are we anticipating we're going to trade Carl Anthony Towns when we can? And so it makes sense to have the mid-level exception go to a guy who's our, you know, backup big now. I mean, that's like, we're getting, you know, too far down the rabbit hole there. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if I'm Minnesota, I probably would consider that I'd be maybe more interested if Pritchard were the piece there. Although that San Antonio 2024, like that might even, be the number of you know, Portland's this year. Like there's no, what yeah like, what is port they're 12th in the west right now <laughs> yeah i mean that's yeah it's the type of thing where reed seems really coveted or valued by the wolves which you can sort of understand in a vacuum but in that particular situation i don't know how much sense i think that makes you want to jump to the sixers here yes all right so currently uh second in the division but have been about as hot as anybody over the last what like 25 games which yeah. is not an insignificant sample um the sixers are another team that you could make the case they don't really need anything um i do think you know the they're another backup big team that's been you know they're they're looking for an upgrade on the you know on b-ball paul reed or, or other things like that i think for me the the target ought to be someone who will give you what you thought daniel house jr was going to give you because i remember you know we probably talked about it you know getting him is like, well, this guy might finish games for them in the playoffs. That's totally on the table. And he just hasn't been quite good enough, which is okay because D'Anthony Melton has been as advertised yeah. and yeah, you know, everybody else in the, on, in the rotation has been solid. I think, you know, I don't know what the bottom line would be for this team is other than it seems pretty clear. They, they would like to get under the tax um, and they have a couple ways to do that, you know, including moving Furkan Korkmaz or Jaden Springer, Matisse Tybul is someone that I think is going to have maybe a surprising amount of appeal to different teams. Cause every time I see him mentioned in a rumor, like to the Kings or to golden state, it's like, yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, take a flyer on that guy, especially if you're a good team that just needs defense and can compensate for, you know, his deficiencies with other players. So they're limited in what they can move. Their, their first rounders are pretty well tied up for the rest of the decade. Um, and they're just a little bit, it's not like they have to do a ton to get under the tax. Uh, it's like a 1.1 million or I think maybe 1.2. So yeah, they're, they may just be a tax ducking team, um, which might be disappointing, but, but I do think um, they're another team like Boston that doesn't need to do a whole lot. So I guess I, I'll throw it to you. I, I think probably Korkmaz is the most likely player to be traded, but there are some other candidates. I wonder where you're at on that. They're so close to, ducking the luxury tax like if that's the move is it easier it is easier i mean to just be like hey we'll get rid of we'll trade Jaden springer to someone who makes 2.1 this season 2.2 next season and has the team option on his fourth year which at this rate i would argue he's tracking toward having that declined rather than cork Maz is owed 5.4 million next season guaranteed so like, i could see it being something like that is it even just Oh, we'll give you Shake Milton. If if they're just purely ducking the tax and don't want to include any sweeteners, I think you're probably looking at a Shake Milton or maybe a um a Jaden Springer, even though like or do you need a sweetener to get off Jaden Springer right. at this point? Otherwise, I would think if you're the Sixers, I would rather get rid of Cork Maz and pay the opportunity cost to jettison him just because that then gives me 
more wiggle room under the tax, which will help you during um, buyout market season, depending on how many players you you need to sign. You want more than just like a you know a half breath under the luxury tax. Yeah, and Corkmoss too is I think maybe again I don't know. It's possible a team could think, well, this guy at five point four million next year might help us. You know, if if he can make shots and just be the better version of Corkmoss that we've we've seen several versions over the years. But I do think if you're trying to actually make an improvement, his salary is the biggest of any guy they'd reasonably consider trading. So there's just, that's a factor too. Um, I, I know, you know, you've got a trade here that involves him and he kind of has to be in it to, to get, to get to the number you need, you know, Springer won't do it. And, and Tybal probably could, but on his own, I don't know if he's bringing back someone. Oh yeah. That's know, he, I didn't even mention him. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So you could, you could trade him into cap space though. Right. Like sure. that's not well, not cap space, but you could get a team just to take Tybal. That's not going to take a sweetener. Well, yeah, I would think it depends. Like the, so, one of the things I've seen recently is is uh, to the Tybal to the Kings for Terrence Davis. You know, Terrence Davis kind of duplicative with Malik Monk on the roster. I mean, he has finished some games for them, but I, I think I've read that he's not super happy with his role. There's just not enough minutes for him. I guess you could talk yourself into him having a better chance of being in the playoff rotation than Tybal, just because it's, you know, you're not going to just ignore Terrence Davis off the ball, you know, that, so he could have some value there. And for the Kings, mm-hmm. like Jesus, that, I mean, get a wing defender there, just get one like that is, we're not talking about them, but that's the glaring need and Tybal can do that. So, I mean, it makes sense to me, something like that. Um, but yeah, Ty- I think, I think in most cases, Tybal is not someone you'd have to sweeten anything to, to move him just because like he does have a demonstrable NBA skill. It just doesn't really matter that much for the Sixers relative to how much it might matter someplace else. The trade that we have for them. So there's going to be two because I have one that I was kind of bending about in my head there. By the way, they're $1.1 million into luxury debt. They're ducking it like that is happening. Yeah, yeah. Even if they make sort of a win now move, they're ducking it. Um, so the trade that I have listed, though, the Sixers get Cody Martin, the Hornets get Furkan Korkmaz, Matisse Thybul, and a 2028 second round pick. And that gets the Sixers under the tax. While also Cody Martin's been bad this year, still dealing with knee issues. When I proposed this, he was actually back in the lineup. I think they creeped up again. He would be interesting for the Sixers long term if you're comfortable with the number he's on. Yeah, and I think they should be comfortable with that because that gets you, you know, if you're thinking about step laddering of not necessarily immediately, but over time, Martin makes what he makes like seven roughly yeah. um so that that gets you a little closer to like a 10 million dollar guy if you're talking about salary slots for trades and things like that um so i mean if i'm the sixers i think i probably do that um and if i'm the hornets like i think i'd be interested in a flyer on table and and you know a second is fine but you know martin just hasn't played for them and martin's not i don't think martin is the type of guy that it's like we're well at a team in Charlotte's position, we're starting over essentially, or we should be eventually like he's, he's a, he's a decent piece on a better team. I think he makes more sense for the Sixers team than he does for the Hornets. Whereas Tybal is the opposite. So I'm, I'm into that. What's your other trade? So Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, Matisse Thybul, And I guess you could include their 2029 first here, but it wouldn't be guaranteed. Right. It would just because of the way that the, the pick that goes to Brooklyn is, protected and not wait is it their broken picks not a 2028 pick is it it is no it's a 2027 but it's protected through 2028 so it would have to just be 2029 if it doesn't if it's not going to convey it turns into nothing hmm. to toronto for gary trent jr 
OG Ananobi and Kem Birch. Basically, is Tyrese Maxey enough to get you in the OG Ananobi conversation? That's the question. I would so Maxey for what the Raptors lack is interesting because I don't know. He's not. I think of him more as like a a slasher, a transition guy than someone who's just going to run your half court offense really effectively. That's a good good point. You're Um, not wrong. What they need, but like if you're not if and we'll talk about this if the you know three and four really good first round pick packages are not there for Ananobi, then I think someone like Maxi that is, you know, young enough and and projectable enough and currently cheap enough to give you some more flexibility elsewhere. Cause there's other guys on the Raptors roster that are going to cost some money. Even if Ananobi has gone, I think that's the type of player you target. I'd also don't know if I want to take on Tobias Harris's money, uh, just a year, <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that, I think a lot of that depends for me on what, What's what else is out there for Ananobi? If I'm the because I would think Tyrese Maxey to me has the evaluation of two first round picks. That's fair. I would think. But and so then where does Ananobi fall? How many? I mean, we should probably save this for a, yeah. I mean, it team. depends on what first round picks are coming back, but yeah. So yeah. I, I don't think I would do that if I was the Raptors, but I just think Maxey's coming off the bench now. Do you trust that James Harden and Joel Embiid are hunky dory? And just curious as to like the fact that he's coming off the bench, would it make it more likely that? You know, you like the other thing I thought, like, would you do Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey for Zach Levine and Alex Caruso? Oh, man, that's interesting. I kind of like that one from the Sixers perspective. Um, I do wonder, though, if you mentioned Harden, like if the Sixers are not 100 percent confident that he's not going to go to the Houston Rockets inexplicably or leave or whatever. And you've and, and you've traded Maxey like who's dribbling the basketball for you? <laughs> That's, I just I don't think it'll happen. I was just I think they could get themselves into some interesting discussions if he was on the table, though. Uh, for sure. Yeah, agree. The next team up is the Brooklyn Nets. They are definitively buyers. And they, I think their biggest need, like for me, my biggest question for them is, can they add size and versatility to the front line? And also, will they part with a first round pick given their long-term uncertainty? That's like kind of not a huge deal because they don't have a bunch of first round picks to trade, but it was just something more so of me wondering how aggressive will they be buying knowing that Kyrie's a free agent, wants an extension, but do you want to extend him? Then if you don't extend him, is Kevin Durant going to want to leave? What the fuck is Ben Simmons at this point? So there's still just a lot of uncertainty where it's okay. If you could be opportunistic and get a big on the buyout market or just this cheap big. Sure. I think that you could probably work out um, something, but I'm just like, this team is good enough at full strength to be more aggressive than that. It, the question is, will they be, or they won't even drum up their tax bill even further when, as of this recording, they are 346 million dollars into the luxury tax which is quite a bit of money the other thing i'm wondering is just like you have patty mills joe harris seth curry do one of those guys just get moved like i i don't think you want patty mills is money on your books next season joe harris has been shooting the ball better but he's still playing like fewer minutes than seth curry who is going to be seth curry will be a free agent joe harris is owed like 19 million or whatever next year so could we kind of see them try to break up that especially if you are going to bring back Kyrie Irving, because then you're just sort of this guard overload and even Royce O'Neal is the smaller wing defender but I think the priority might just be keeping the roster intact for now and how do we go about if I'm the Nets getting a big um to add like who hits their free throws 
because you're not going to have that in Ben Simmons. You're not going to have that in Nick Claxton at the moment. And I've also just kind of wondered, would you, and we'll get to this in a different trade deadline, probably like, would you, if you could just get out of Ben Simmons's contract, would you do that at this point? He brings a ton of value defensively, which is like the offensive value. Yeah, the passing, okay, fine. But it's just like, it's not there. He is so low volume and just such a non-threat right now. Yeah, I, I was recently having the thought of, you know, you hear a lot now that, that, you know, I'm trying to think what the examples used to be, like Blake Griffin's old contract or several that are Russell Westbrook now still, or a couple of years ago. They're just, you know, the idea that there just aren't a lot of really bad contracts in the NBA anymore. And it's a lot, it's gotten harder to sort of name the, you know, handful of just all oh, this Tobias Harris probably was in that group a couple of years ago when there was more left on that deal. Clay Thompson's guys like that. There's aren't like really awful ones. So I was wondering, is Ben Simmons the worst contract in the league right now, especially just for a good team where you're saying like the nets are, and you've seen his playoff track record and you know, he has all these deficiencies that like, yeah, he's going to help your defense and playmaking and transition stuff in the regular season. But during the playoffs, like, does he have, any value like maybe in the first round i guess but for all that money and this is a contending team he might just be a total zero it might be a zero in the postseason so that was kind of the thought of it so he's obviously the hardest player to trade um but yeah i think this is the rare exception just zooming back out uh, to of where oh this team is looking for a backup bigs it's like no they really do need a backup big and, and that's especially if simmons is going to be limited or not a factor in the playoffs. Cause then you're just talking. Yeah. Like Nick Claxton's awesome, super underrated, great switch defender, shot blocker, free throws, as you mentioned, are an issue. But then after him, it's like, you're not playing Daron sharp in, in minutes that matter. So Kevin Durant is going to play some center you're, or you're just going to, I just, I don't know what your options are they, relative to like playoff level competition. So a backup big should be a priority. I think ideally you want someone that can space because then that makes it a little easier to have Simmons out there. Um, Cause that's, you know, it works fine. Cause Claxton's so good in, at everything else when those two play together now. But I think if your backup big is going to spend time with Simmons, you certainly need someone that can shoot it. So, you know, good luck. That's not always that easy to find. Um, especially if basically you're dangling Patty Mills as, as you know, we could totally get rid of this guy, but yeah, it's, it's tricky, but this is the team that needs a, another big, even though we've said that the last handful have all been targeting that. The trade I had for them was widely hated by Nets fans. And it's the Nets get Zach Collins and Josh Richardson, who I will say, I don't like playing this card, but if you're saying that these guys suck, you just haven't been paying attention to what's happening. They both had really good seasons for San Antonio. If you don't want to do this trade, I think it's arguable, but they've been good. The Spurs get Joe Harris, Patty Mills, and then Philly's 2027 first. Maybe that cost is too high to do that. One I had bandied about. So curious first, before we go to the, my next iteration of it, what are your thoughts on something like that? Is the, the 2027 first too much to like, does that view like, I guess Joe Harris's money next year. Am I skewing too negative on that? But, but like the Patty Mills money is a negative. Someone on Twitter told me like, well, the Spurs review Patty Mills as an asset because he's been there before. And I was like, that's actually not how that works. Just like how jazz fans were getting on me. Like, no, Hill and Grayson Allen in a fake trade I had, they would never go back to Utah. It's a different regime, and I promise you, teams are not thinking that way when they're looking at the meat and potatoes of a deal. They will reroute yeah. them later. Like They're not because you didn't like them or you think their team cancers just off limits, especially in a case like Utah where the entire regime has turned over since the two of them were there. 
Yeah. So I think, I think actually what you believe about Harris's value on that contract is kind of the defining factor for this trade, you know, is 19, almost 20 million next year um, for a guy who, you know, like he's had just a brutal injury, you know, last couple of years, really only played 14 games last year. And when he's healthy, he shoots the shit out of it. And even in a down year, he's like a tick under 30, under 40% from deep. But like, this is pretty clearly Harris's worst year since what, like, I don't know, 2016, 17, when he yeah. basically became a regular NBA rotation guy. Um, and the trend line is, is not super great for him. So if you think, if you think that that deal is not something you want on the books, and again, we've talked about sometimes it's valuable to have an expiring big contract because you can use that to bring back a big player, especially if you don't care about the tax like Brooklyn doesn't. Um, I think that could make some sense. And I'm with you, like, you know, Collins has been, and Richardson really are just toiling in obscurity and you can throw question marks at what their numbers mean, given that their team is terrible and nobody takes the Spurs seriously. But like those guys would play and Collins is exactly the type of big I was talking about, you know, he's had, he's been a stretch guy in the past, or at least, you know, a theoretical one. He can move a little bit, makes a lot of sense as a, as a backup big. And Richardson is just, I mean, Richardson's like a plug and play seventh, eighth guy, literally anywhere. And maybe better than that. If, if he's got, you know, a little bit of that Miami juice left still from a few years ago. So um, giving up that first is a little scary um, because like, who knows what the Sixers are going to be in, you know, two, three years. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's something I don't mind giving up Harris, I guess, is the bottom line to circle all the way back. I think they have enough shooting the Nets do from other reserve guard and wing positions that, you know, it might, it might be okay. You might not suffer too much if you, if you have to give him up as like the main salary piece here. My guess would be that San Antonio doesn't do seconds and Joe Harris alone for Collins and Richardson. That would be my guess. Yeah, I imagine they think they can get like a bad first for Richardson still, you know, or like a fake first, which may just be optics, but uh, a couple seconds, I'm not sure you get there. For both of them anyway. I think maybe one of them would be possible. The other one, though, I thought about sort of like a challenge trade, Ben Simmons for Zach Collins, Josh Richardson, and Doug McDermott. Like San Antonio just said, we're going to be the team that reboots Ben Simmons. So they're not going to need to spend money in free agency anytime soon of, of all the teams. So that's the only kind of team. I think Ben Simmons makes sense for where you've got the cap space. You have the luxury of, we can take like a whole other year going forward and see if this guy has anything. Um, yeah. I I'm okay with that. I just, <laughs> it, it's, it's really hard to imagine Trading James Harden for the mouse to Josh Richards and Zach Collins and Doug McDermott. Congratulations, you traded Ben Simmons, though. I didn't think it could be done. Let's hit the other New York team. Um, and I don't know how you let me have this one since I consider you the Knicks authority. Um, so here's my my sort of overarching Knicks take, and we can get into more details from here. And you well, tell me, we descend into existential crisis really quickly. Yeah, no. Well, you yeah. tell me if you disagree. I think basically the Knicks are a team in need of a player that's better than everyone they have, maybe two. Um, and they actually are in possession of asset wise, like what it would take under, you know, normal circumstances to get someone like that. You know, there are salaries to move, they have their picks, uh, and they have some extra picks. 
And like, it's, so it's sort of like, well, then just go get a, there aren't, there just aren't stars. There aren't stars that are reasonably available at prices you should pay right now. It doesn't seem like. Um, so first of all, is that like, is that off base that like the need is clear and the path to filling that need is also pretty clear. It's just the, it's, we're in the wrong reality because the, the piece, the guy they need just isn't available. Right. Yeah. I would agree with you. I would also question though, whether they actually have enough assets to get it done at this okay. point, because you look at the first round picks they have where I guess if you're looking at their own into the future, those will have value to teams, but like the Mavericks one going to convey this year outside the lottery. Probably you don't know when Detroit or Washington or if Detroit or Washington yeah. picks are going to convey. Now you're getting to a point where quickly about to be on his next deal. Ditto for Toppin. Cam Reddish, the restricted free agent this summer has no value. You've paid RJ Barrett, who is not having a good year, especially on defense. It's like how flat, who are they outbidding? Honestly, at this point, like what is their best? They, they could outbid. This is not like the Lakers where their offer is so rigid, but I don't think that the Knicks is like, they have Quentin Grimes. Like he's very interesting. And again, having all your own first round picks, but I just think they're flat and it doesn't matter because that market doesn't exist right now. But if right. you're going into the star trade market now or this summer, I don't think the Knicks best offer carries as much weight as it did this past summer when you still had two years left for Toppin and quickly and RJ Barrett hadn't signed his extension yet. A lot of the sheen I think is worn off of the Knicks best blockbuster package. Well, so then do you think, so it seems like the, the plan, the ideal for them is we're going to hold on to our picks and these other ones, which I agree. Like I, the Dallas one is probably, you know, that's, it's not going to be valuable. It's going to convey this year. I assume um, and then the Detroit and Washington ones combined because of all the protections are kind of like, yeah, it's two firsts, but it's really like, it's really like 0.75 firsts just because of what they're likely to be valued at. So, but do you think the current tact, which seems to be, we're going to hold on to these and use a bunch of them in one big deal, which is what I just said they should do at some point when that becomes a good option is better than well, let's go Evan Fournier and like a real first for Buddy Heald. Or let's like, you know, package some other picks with like some combination of Fournier, Rose, Cam Reddish, whatever, for another, a big contract coming back. Like I've seen Gordon Hayward thrown out there, which is like, I mean, I guess it'd be cool to have a $30 million salary <laughs> slot filled, but like, I don't want to give up a pick just so I can hope to trade this guy in another deal that I give up picks in a year. If from you're, now. Why, why would they ever give up a pick for Gordon Hayward? Who are they getting off? Like Gordon Hayward's deal well, is worse than any other contract on the roster. I, I don't know. I'm just, I've seen that out there. Um, I think Fred Katz was talking about Hayward as, as an option. So, do, so back to the question, like, do you think it makes more? So I, I take it as you would not be in favor of let's kind of split these up and think about, let's move this pick with a bad contract for a good player who's not a star, obviously like healed is just the guy I'll use or, or is it better to just let's hold on to these and wait for, I don't know, Carl Anthony towns or like whoever else becomes, you know, available for a bunch of picks at some point. No, I'd be in favor of splitting. Like if it's a, I wouldn't do it for a buddy, but like a Malik Beasley or a Gary Trent jr. If that's the okay. route you go, I, I would be in favor of that. I was going to ask though, this is like a player who falls, I think smack dab, in the middle of the line you're trying to straddle right now. They've been linked to OG Ananobi. 
Right. And the reports are that they've offered three first round picks for OG Ananobi. Now, my guess would be that two of them are from this year. And that kind of dilutes the value. But let's just say if they're willing to give up two of their own, like, I don't even know how to, like, if they're willing to give up three first round picks and, and let's say a real player here where it's quickly or it's topping, or even if it's, I w- it's not going to be Grimes. But like, if they're willing to go three first round picks, that young player, and then salary filler, Derek Rose, whatever they, Evan, if they're getting off Evan Fournier in the process, even better. Is that a move you're making, knowing, as we talked about off air, that if OG Ananobi is in fact unhappy in Toronto, it's in part because he wants a larger offensive role? Right. So, Ananobi, so let's say, I'll, I'll answer your question with another question. Like, if, if all three of those firsts that, you know, are incoming. The Dallas, Detroit, and Washington ones are in there. And then you add two of your own, like, unprotected future firsts. So you're re- it's sort of like the five. optics are, it's That's five firsts. It's really not five firsts. But, I mean, it is and it isn't. To me, I think I do that if I'm the Knicks. Just, you know, if you can get some protections on your actual firsts. Wait, wait I'm sorry. You would give up five first-round picks for OG Ananobi, or let's say four? They're not real firsts though. These uh, these other the the Dallas one is, but then the the Washington and Detroit ones are are like fake. I mean, Detroit gets down to top nine protection in twenty twenty seven. That's I mean, it's twenty twenty seven. But that doesn't mean <laughs> that it's a fake first round. This isn't the Hornets pick. That That's they, true. That's true. I'm <laughs> overstating it. Okay, but. You're about to have, you know how the Pelicans and Nuggets fans have gone at you and you do? You're about to have Knicks fans go at you too. That's fine. It's a, they're fake firsts. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, but your question is is the, the valid one, which is, is Ananobi going to get what he wants with the Knicks in terms of his role? And should he, in terms of like expanding his offensive game? Because like there's no scenario where you don't want him as a defensive piece. It's just sure. like, he's about as good as it gets in terms of plug and play, like universal applicability he could guard five positions. That's, that's great. Um, like you could make the case. He's the best three and D player in the league. Maybe like with just real emphasis on the defense. I don't know about how much I trust him as an offensive piece anyway. Um, Cause then you're going to have to deal with his next contract. So if like you give up all that stuff, let's say it's not five. Let's say it's like two real ones, two real firsts, which I'm even saying if it's three, I just don't know how you got to five. That was no, just, I was just trying, to, try, trying to excite you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that's a lot to give up for a guy that you're not totally sure is going to sort of play the way you hope he plays. And that as a result of that might just not want to stay with your team, like in pretty short order. So that's the real scary part for Ananobi, but without there being a star out there, like a real, you know, best player on the team star, I guess that's kind of what your target ought to be. Um, I just, have it's, to, hard, it's hard to know how likely that is right now. I don't know what I would do. I probably wouldn't do it just because I don't think that I'd be worried about him leaving. Right. Uh, and the other thing is just like, if you get him, you're kind of at a point where it's okay that like you need to move RJ Barrett to the bench or get rid of RJ Barrett. If you're at that, but because I just, I, like, look, you're going to play with all three of Barrett, Randall, and Brunson, then he's never going to get any sort of additional offensive touches. Yeah. So you could bring RJ off the bench, but also it's just, I, 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 you could keep all of them. I'm just saying, like, there would have to be some sort of a call made, I think, on RJ, because you're not benching Julius Randall at this point. You definitely can't bench Jalen Brunson, who's your best player. So 
I, like it's just it's weird is all this. And I could think of very few teams that are worse or less equipped to give OG Ananobi a more prominent offensive role if he's yeah. traded there. Where are you on Barrett real quick? Just like, what is Barrett going to be in your estimation? I'm all over the place. I've, I've shifted from like highs and lows on him. I, I do think part of it is just like the offensive hierarchy is not built to let him develop. Like, I think some of his best minutes have come when he's playing with the bench, which speaks to like how much he might need the ball to experiment mm-hmm. at the same time. Like his standstill shooting has kind of settled in at points. The defense has been just God awful at stages this year. I don't know what he is. I do lean more towards this is someone who might be like a like an average NBA player or worse long term. But like that's just me kind of living in the moment, having just watched him like get cooked against yeah. the Lakers and not play. Right? I mean, I think they played down the stretch. Yeah, they they did bench him. I had to go back and watch that game, but it was there was down the stretch they benched him, and yeah. I like you know a Tibbs is part of the problem in New York, but like the defense RJ was playing that game. I'm sort of just like, yeah, like I, I don't really blame him. And look, those, those instances are going to be probably like higher. If you have OG and Hobie on your team and you want Quentin Grimes's defense and you know, you're playing Brunson and Randall already. So it's just OG and Hobie is such a complicated fit for the Knicks. I do think Knicks fans don't know. No, I don't want to paint a sweeping brush, but some they've seemed insulted that they would give up three first round picks for OG and Obi. Like, if, yeah, if it's three unprotected picks, it's 25, 27, and 29 of your own. Yes, I get it. But like, OG Ananobi is good. And I saw some people push me like, well, why would we ever give up Toppin for OG Ananobi? Like, fucking stop. Obi Toppin is barely playing. Yeah. The Knicks only view him as this one position player. Won't play with Julius Randle. I just can't. It's this time of year where I, tr- I usually don't get frustrated with fan bases, but fan bases' propensities were just completely irrationally overvaluing their own talent and devaluing everyone else's is just brain bending to me. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, like you, if you only watch the Knicks or you mostly watch the Knicks, like, Oh, Toppin can really get out and run and he's shooting threes. Well, it's just like the theory of Toppin as like a starting level player, just the, the best version of that does not come close to what Ananobi has been over the last couple of and years. And the other thing is just like, it doesn't, I actually think Obi Toppin could start. It's yeah. not happening in New York. Yeah. And so it's just like, what? So yeah, but that's just I don't I don't know where I land on the Adenobi. It depends on the picks, but I just feel like it, it could create like extra layers of confusion as to what the hell's going. Like that's the player where it's I don't really know what they're committing towards. Where like we'll get to the trade idea I have where it's very much like, okay, maybe we get better for this season and like things are still very fluid, but now like you've kind of committed to Ananobi and what's the long term fit there when you're paying him? It it's a weirdly high An- Ananobi is a weirdly high risk player for the Knicks, given his profile for, for all the reasons we talked, which like, it doesn't make sense that a guy who should fit absolutely anywhere based on his track record is actually like, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work there, which is, it's a, that's a weird kind of thing to try to juggle. What's your, what's your trade though, before we get to Ananobi's Raptors who are just like the biggest swing team in the, in the whole league. Yeah. So by the way, I have their toughest player to move is Fournier and also the most likely player to be traded is definitely Cam Reddish, right? Uh, yeah. Reddish for sure. Fournier, man, how, how, how does it, how does a deal go from like, that's, that's, that's reasonable to just awful. I would just like to point out, first of all, and I think we had a conversation that it wasn't reasonable because what team was giving him a third guaranteed year? Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. So he would have won the press conference had it been a three-year deal. Didn't need to be a four-year deal. I stand by that. Uh, (laughs) so the trade I have for them is the Knicks get Josh Hart, and Justice Winslow for Isaiah Hartenstein and Cam Reddish. 
Uh, it doesn't have to be Justice Winslow if if the Blazers say, well, when he's healthy, he's too important to our bench. The Knicks could take whoever in that scenario. And they'll take, like, that was just to make the salaries even more even. Portland straddling a very close luxury tax line, but they need a, a backup big. And I think Hart's not be good for them. You take a flyer on Reddish, and it's clear to me that Josh Hart is not going to be there next season. He's a player option, he's bound to decline. And so the Knicks get someone who can defend, rebound well can play some up to small ball four if you want him to when Julius Randle isn't on the court. Although like, you know, between Toppin and Randle, those minutes won't necessarily be available. It was just like, and then you could see, maybe you resign him, maybe you don't. Yeah. I think, I think I'm disappointed that I like this for the Knicks just because I, I think we both thought Hardenstein was such a good signing. Um, and he's been good since Robinson went out, but just like, it's not, he's not a Tibbs big. And if you're going to play that way, and when Mitchell Robinson comes back, I think he's going to be marginalized even further. Yeah, I mean it is a rental because Hart, for sure, I agree, is going to is not going to pick up that player option. He'll he can he'll resign somewhere for multiple years, probably at at least the twelve that he's that he's making. Um, I do think too, just the Portland side of this is if you get Hartenstein in the fold, then you know a lot of people think Yusuf Nurkic is the weak link there, and you can look to move him. And then maybe that's a way. I don't know who's buying. I was gonna say, I don't know who wants three years yeah. and fifty-five plus million of use of Nurkic. Right. He's that's, like a good player, but not one you get excited about. Right. It would just at least kind of like play into a broader theory of why Portland would do this. Um, just in case they can move him, then you have a you have like a guy. You know, Hardenstein can start. I think he's it's not a high end starter, but he's not making. You can actually like run stuff for him as opposed to trying to use him as right. predominantly a rim roller. Then yeah. I think he would be a good fit. All right. We got to do it. You got to take us to Toronto. Cause this is the only team that matters in the whole deadline. It seems like. So I have them when we're looking at them as buyers or sellers, I have them as buyers or sellers or maybe both, but also potentially neither. It's about right. I have no idea what to expect from them. I think Gary Trent jr. Is clearly their most likely player to be traded because of his player option that he's going to decline. Um, they're also not, you know, woefully, uh, or they don't have like a ton of flexibility under the tax. They're about, they're fewer than 5 million within the tax. That's something to keep in mind as you look at trades. Um, I don't, I, what I will say is I still view Pascal Siakam along with Scotty Barnes as untouchable. I don't think a Siakam trade, if they do explore it, it's just something to me that happens over the off season. I'd be floored if it happens in the middle of the year. And I'm just wondering, could that hold up the trade market at all? Where it's some teams that have been linked to Ananobi, like let me use Phoenix as an example. I think Pascal Siakam makes way more sense for them. And it's just between them having the link to Pascal Siakam and then also like, oh, are we waiting on the Kevin Durant trade demand? Could that just stop business a little bit at all at the trade line? I'm, that's galaxy braining this shit, but just food for thought. Uh, I uh, So my question for them, or I have questions. There's the easy low-hanging fruit one of, will they entertain offers for OG Ananobi and Fred Van Fleet in addition to Gary Trent Jr.? But if they're not, are they, like if they decide to, Stan Pat, can they add shot making depth and a big? Are they actually even willing to act like buyers? Do they even view moving Gary Trent Jr. as a sell job? And so, can you use Gary Trent Jr. to fill any of those holes? Most likely the big, because you're actually losing shot making in Gary Trent Jr. And so, what would be your what would you do if you're the Raptors at this trade deadline? Let's start there. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I've felt this way for a while. Um, the idea, I get it that, you know, Ananobi is going to come due for more money. Siakam's not that far. Like there are guys that they're going to have to pay more, even if you exclude Van Vliet and Trent. I don't like the blow it up route that you, that I've seen. Um, I, I get it. Like guys just become more expensive. And so it's not really realistic to say like, let's just hold on to these, to all of our project six, nine guys 
and they'll just all get better. And, and then it'll, we'll be great. We just fill in around them with what we need, which are like ones and fives. It's it, that's guys that make plays guys that can defend the paint and as conventional centers. Um, that said though, like to me, the, the cleanest path has long seemed to be Trent. You got to move Trent. Cause I think he's sort of a replaceable type of player. And, and I don't think you want to pay what he's going to cost on his next deal. And I think I would move Van Vliet too, just really on the, the thinking that there's a chance I just lose both these guys for nothing. And there's also a chance I have to overpay to beat the market when they're, when they become free agents this summer to keep them. So like, I don't really like either of those options. Um, so I would, my, my like base plan would be, I don't think I'm trading Ananobi unless I get, unless some idiot comes along and offers five first round picks for him, which is <laughs> even if three of them are fake. Uh, and I'm not trading Siakam and I'm not trading Scotty Barnes, but I'm trying to get what I can for Van Fleet and Trent and whatever that does to my season this year. Fine. I don't think the Raptors are in position to really like care that much about that. And then I just hope that with the flexibility I've earned or the new pieces I've gotten back, I can figure out a way to make project six, nine still sort of work, but have a real point guard that can break down a half court defense and have a center that can anchor a more conventional half court defense. Like that's, I'm just trimming off the pieces. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep at rates. I want to pay to keep them. And then I'm, I'm holding on to pretty much everything else. The one thing I'm wondering if I disagree with at this point, we both agree that GTJ is the most likely player to be traded, right? Yeah, I think so. I'm almost wondering, is OG Ananobi now the second most likely player to be traded? Just because the noise has been so loud on him. It could be fueled by other teams, but like the fact that we've now heard reports about him being unhappy or that the Raptors are listening to offers, like we're not talking about one-sided territory anymore. The whole mystery team offers three first-round picks and everyone knows it was the fucking Knicks and now it's finally identified. Like that, that's not the level of rumors we're dealing with anymore. I don't know that I would predict that he'd be traded. I want to make it clear, but he kind of seems to me like if I were to rank of the four players that are talked about the most in this vein, I almost might put him two ahead of Fred Van Fleet. And I'm the thing with Van Fleet, he's so important to your shot creation because you just, if you get rid of him, how do you go about replacing that? Right. Because you're think... not going to have cap space this off season. And I think they probably missed an opportunity like the fact that they kind of just stood pat or made moves on the margins this past off season, I think was a, like a really like a fucking failure on their part. We might've seen this team be a lot better. Had they done anything to address these glaring needs that we knew they all had? Uh, I don't think there'll be a buyer to be clear. So like, I don't, if they don't do anything major, I don't think it's going to be like, you know, if they don't sell, I don't think that they're just going to turn around and be like, Oh, well we went after and we went out and got, you know, a big, or we went out and got a, another shot creator. I'm just, where are you at though on the OG stuff? Do you still think he's the third most likely to be traded behind Van Vliet and, and GTJ? I think maybe, but there are a couple key factors independent of all the rumors that really do sort of weigh in favor of him being the second or even even more likely than Trent potentially. And 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 those are one, the longer you wait, the closer he gets to that player option in 24-25, or really the summer of 24. Yeah. And the lower his value gets, because then you're talking about just less time with him on your team. If you're the acquiring team and, and, and closer to having to pay him like God knows what on his next deal. The other thing is just the reality of the market, which is how many times have we talked about Ananobi? Like 
it's there like there are not a lot of teams looking to move a player like him or of his quality and there are a million teams that want him so it's possible that whatever you know it's possible that this is the most right now today or within the next week is the most you're ever going to get for him so like that alone is compelling to me if i do think if i'm not comfortable potentially with paying him you know 30 million a year or whatever it is going forward on his next deal I think maybe there's a case to be made for like, just keep it really simple and sell an asset at its absolute highest value. And for Hananobi, I think that's probably right now. Um, Cause it's hard for me to imagine him playing so much better as he nears the end of this contract to where now you're talking about an even bigger return than three firsts, right? Like, cause he get it just it, those two things, the arrows are kind of moving in different directions as he gets closer to that, to the end of his deal. So I, for sure, I could see him being, you know, the second most likely guy. And I, I just, I, I have such a bad sense of what they're going to do with Van Vliet. You know, I, yeah. I do, it doesn't, it, Trent's clear. Trent is much clearer because I just don't think he's as integral to what they're doing. But Van Vliet is really hard to figure out not only like what can they get for him, but like, where does he really make a lot of sense that has what it would take to get him? I just, I don't have a good answer for that. And what also complicates it is I think with some other players, you could say, well, there's going to be some cap space in the market, but if they want to leave, you could broker a sign and trade. It's not the same with Van Fleet because some of the rebuilding teams, like let's just use Orlando as an example, like they can justify just paying him. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, Van Fleet is not going to go to a team that's on sort of a more gradual timeline. And so that makes it even harder. And just how, again, how important he is to an offense that's already super shallow when it comes to shot creators there in the, the half court. So I, I don't have a great feel for what they do with him either. Uh, I for so long thought that he and GTJ were the most likely players to be moved, but I kind of think Ananobi's entered that fold ahead of him. Now I want to ask you this, which teams come to mind should actually go all in on an OG Ananobi trade. If you had your druthers and you're running them. And can I preface this by saying, why do people think that the Memphis Grizzlies are one of them? What does he do to address their biggest weaknesses. I know th- like the idea of having a bigger wing. Okay. But in terms of their half court offense, three point volume and even three point efficiency. Like if you want to drum that up in the half court is OG Ananobi that guy. I mean, of, so is this limited to the teams that could actually get him? I'm well, I mean, like, you know, the, I, the team that could actually make an all in offer for like, which team should be making the, viewing oh this is Adenobi at his peak value and they should be willing to pay i mean it's harder than you'd think if you're trying to limit it because like cleveland cleveland he fits the position cleveland needs but they don't have like they just right. they can't do it um, so i i just don't think it should be the grizzlies i don't I understand it necessarily for the knicks i was gonna say why aren't we mentioning the warriors like kamingo wiseman and picks yeah, I think the, the Warriors, I guess, I'm trying to think what the reason not to do that would be. And it would really just be faith in Kaminga being like, you know, in three years, something like what Ananobi is now. I don't, I, mean, I don't know how realistic that is, but if I'm just making the counter argument. Um, yeah, the team like the Warriors, a team like, let's see, I'm just looking at the top of the standing. Like, could you talk yourself into... Atlanta. I mean, if Atlanta had anything it could give up, like just be a better year. Yeah. (laughs) Can they trade Trey young? Let's do that. Let's trade Trey. Um, No, I don't know. It's, I think it's harder. I don't, 
if if I wouldn't totally rule out Memphis though, as I'm thinking about it, just because I think he's just way better at everything than Dylan Brooks. Um, so I think if you're concerned about having to pay Dylan Brooks on his next deal, there's some like renegotiate and extend stuff out there about him right now. Um, it's kind of a similar situation to Ananobi, and I just think Ananobi's better. But then if you're also giving up a whole bunch of draft capital, right. Ananobi's that much better. Yeah, that that's tough. I don't know. The Warriors make sense. I mean, just just go get a guy and throw caution to the wind over the next three years, basically. Why not? I'm just surprised that they haven't even been met because everyone's saying they need a bigger wing, and now all of a sudden OG Ananobi's out there, and you have – I would say you have the assets to make a competitive offer for him, right? Yeah, I think if you have both Wiseman and, and – I talk about Wiseman like he's a huge asset. No, no, but I think Kaminga, <laughs> Kaminga and a couple firsts on the table, I mean, that's so – who, who says no? Wiseman, Kaminga, you might need another salary in there, but they could get to it. So Wiseman, Kaminga is the basis. And then a 2026 and 2028 first-round pick, who says no, for OG Ananobi. Oh, I really do like Kaminga. I think – Here we go. He's the new Wiseman. <laughs> no. No, I think the I think Toronto should do that. Um, it, it, for all the reasons we just said about like Ananobi, the the concerns you have, I don't think either of the teams would do that. Uh, only because I have to believe Toronto thinks it can get those like three firsts or even more, and not have to take and not have to take on. I, I just don't know. That's a good trade. I don't know who says no. It's, I guess that's a signal of why it's not a bad offer. Hopefully we cut that up and put that out so that we can get the answer from, from the masses. Yeah. Somebody tell us that's a hard question. Do you, are you ready to take us out here? Yeah. So uh, once again, and as always, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, please make sure to rate review and subscribe. Uh, give us five stars on iTunes. Uh, make sure you're following us on our socials that we're at hardwood knocks on Twitter and TikTok at hardwood underscore knocks on Instagram, where we have a robust 200 plus person following. Get at us. Um, join our discord. Uh, you can get involved in the mailbags and everything else fun we do there. It's great discussions, a lot of like real serious, you know, but also fun basketball people that really care about this stuff. Um, so it's a great place to be. And check us out on our live streams. We're going to be doing on the BR app uh, next week. That's the seventh and the ninth. I forget the times. Uh, we'll make just like I think it's two Eastern, Eastern, Eastern time on the seventh, five p.m. Eastern time on the ninth. Yeah, there it is. Check, uh, check us out on there. Um, and yeah, thank you again. And as always. We apologize to Jared Allen and shout out the one and only Frank Nilakina, neither of whom were mentioned, but they're always in our hearts.